0: Joining us for a conversation are two of the most prolific names in the natural resource space, both legends in their own right, as we are joined today with Rick Rule of Rule Investment Media and David Cole of EMX Royalty. Gentlemen, welcome to the show.
1: Pleasure to be with you, Maurice. Thank
0: you, Maurice. Great to be here. I must say it's an absolute delight to be speaking with you both today as I hold you both in the highest regard personally and professionally as we plan to discover why mineral royalties are powerful financial instruments. We have a lot of ground to cover today, gentlemen, so let's get to it. Mr. Rule, you have a proven track record of nearly 50 years as a wealth builder for you and your clients through resource stocks. What are you seeing right now that gives you the courage and conviction that resource stocks may present a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity?
2: Well,
1: I'd have to, first of all, you're always not wise to contradict your host, but uh, I've had a couple of these opportunities in my lifetime, so I don't think it is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. But I, uh, as you point out, have been lucky enough to see the opportunity before that's in front of me now. And it was extremely Uh, pleasant to participate in. Uh, Natural resource bull markets are uh, wonderful financial events if you participate in them early enough. And my own belief, Maurice, is that right now we are in the latter uh, stage of the beginning of a precious metals bull market. And we're probably in an earlier stage in a broader natural resource bull market. And the idea to participate in two real bull markets Uh, where the outcome is a probability, not a possibility, uh, is extraordinary. It it is seldom before in my life have the fundamental factors uh, that are in front of me come together simultaneously that has given me the courage of my convictions with regards to the probabilities of the outcomes that I'm talking about. And that's what feels good to me now,
0: Maurice. Given the reasons you just conveyed to us, investors and speculators alike are seeking prudent ways to preserve their capital and, if possible, sweeten the deal with the delivery of some nice returns. About a decade ago, you introduced to me a business model that offers investors both of these virtues, and I'm referring to the concept of mineral royalties. For someone new to the conversation, would you please share what are mineral royalties and why are mineral royalty companies a strategic part of your portfolio? Davy can probably do this better than me now that he's done it for a while. What I've learned over time
1: is that having a, a, an interest, an economic interest in a revenue stream where my gross is my net is a very good thing. Uh, what a royalty is, is a part of the revenue stream of a mine or an oil well or something else, but you don't bear uh, any... Uh, establishing capital risk, any sustaining capital risk, or any operating cost risk. So to the extent, as an example, that you disagree with a management team over some of their expenses, it doesn't matter. You just get the check. Uh, Your gross is your net. Uh, A a mineral royalty too uh, is a timeless interest, pretty much. And that means that uh, most of the surprises that you can have are pleasant surprises if you are lucky enough to own a royalty on a tier one mineral discovery, my experience has always been that big discoveries yield surprises and small deposits yield uh, surprises too, but big discoveries yield pleasant surprises and small discoveries yield unpleasant surprises. So a, a, a mineral royalty, which is established on a, let's say a one, one and a half million ounce gold deposit, which feels attractive, Uh, over 30 years might end up producing two two and a half million dollars the additional exploration expense that goes into establishing the lengthening of your royalty the operating costs the sustaining capital costs the taxes all that stuff doesn't matter remember on a royalty for the most part your gross is your net which is very pleasant david what did i leave out
2: (laughs) well you know all of that really comes back to the concept of optionality uh, they're phenomenal financial instruments, particularly in an inflationary environment for the very reasons that you laid out. And, and uh, that discovery optionality, advancement of engineering techniques, all of which are multiplicative, uh, make uh, royalties fantastic instruments to hold.
0: And David, if you would expand on that word optionality, that may be a new term for some of our listeners.
2: Sure. So uh, that's, a, that's the, the chance that things might go super well or super bad. And, you know, the couple of guys, Black and Scholes, got a, a Nobel Prize for defining the formula, how to calculate what optionality is worth and options trade in the marketplace. And with respect to royalties, what we're talking about is the chance that things can go well. And as Rick pointed out, the cost that goes into the exploration and discovery work, development work, production work, etc. etc. is born by the counterparty, not by the royalty holder. So we're exposed to all that upside optionality. And that's one of the things that makes a portfolio of royalties so powerful.
0: Mr. Cole, you're the CEO of the Royalty Generator, and I'm referring to EMX Royalty. Please introduce us to the value proposition that EMX Royalty presents for investors
2: along with your current share price. Well um, the uh, more than happy to talk about that. The uh, and, and, and it, you know, first of all, it all revolves around this concept that royalties are fan, fantastic instruments and different royal, royalty companies accumulate royalties in different ways. There's royalty financing to advance mine projects. There's purchasing of existing royalties, and then there's royalty generation. Uh, we love to generate royalties through the prospect generation business model, acquiring prospective mineral rights around the world, adding value by doing good geology and coalescing data, selling that to an industry hungry for discovery opportunity, and as Rick said, I've never seen an industry more hungry for discovery opportunity than we have today across the periodic table. And, um, and, and we love doing that. We love selling them on for cash, shares, and, of course, a royalty. We also buy royalties to augment that portfolio, to create that portfolio effect, and to further advance the optionality.
0: And you do that organically. That's what I, uh, I find very intriguing about your business model.
2: That, that is our defining factor. That's our hedgehog. And uh, we've sold by example, Maurice 83 projects in the last four years, we have track record of just selling projects right and left. And when I'm talking about selling projects, what I mean is we stake mining claims or we acquire mining licenses from governments, add value, and then move them on to a counterparty, junior companies and major companies. And in the junior company deals, it's uh, commonly cash payments and share payments. We've done exceedingly well with the share payments over our uh, nearly 20-year history and always a production royalty at the end with major companies, which we also love to do business with. We've done six deals with Rio Tinto, the largest mining company in the world in the last four years as one example. And there it's more focused on the in-ground expenditures, cash payments, and of course the royalty at the back end. And we're just delighted to have, the capital across our portfolio being expended by our counterparties, uh, but also their expertise employed across that portfolio, which is enhancing this concept of discovery optionality, which is where the big win comes from. Of course, there's commodity price optionality as well, which is a hot topic in an inflationary environment.
0: Now, before we delve into specific projects, multi-prong question, Mr. Cole, how many projects are in the EMX property bank and how many of those projects are um. now in the harvest mode of
2: generating royalties? So when you use the word bank, that's probably a good word to use So we have, we have over 300 mineral property positions globally, more than a dozen countries. We've always taken a a broad approach. We've cast a broad net to find value. And that's a very strong base of pyramid. And then EMX does have a half dozen producing assets or assets that are just about to become producing at the top of the pyramid. And we're at the transitionary point where we're going from a junior company that's been building a portfolio of mineral property positions and royalties uh, to one that has strong cash flow. And we're right at that right at that tipping point uh, this year.
0: And we're going to highlight five of those here in, in just a minute. Rick, in the resource space, precious metals seem to dominate the conversation. But I'd like to get your thought on base metals and, in particular, the outlook for copper.
1: You know, I think the easiest thing to think about when you think about copper, or pardon me, the two easiest things to think about, is that the driver, the driver for copper is the ascent of humankind uh, to the extent that there are uh, almost 8 billion people on earth and more people every day. And to the extent that humankind has a responsibility, I believe, uh, to take the poorest half of humanity and increase their well-being, that automatically comes to copper. Maurice, many of your listeners won't know that 1.2 billion people on earth have no access to electricity. And another 2 billion people on earth uh, have access to intermittent or unaffordable uh, electricity. We've done a great job as humankind, the last 30 years in increasing the material lot of the poorest of the poor. But we have a lot more to do uh, and an important transition uh, from a subsistence lifestyle to a more fulfilling lifestyle, at least part of the material transition is electricity and electricity is copper. At the same time that we need to continue to increase access to electricity for the poorest half of humanity, the other half of humanity wants to increase their electrical consumption too. Electric vehicles, power, gadgets, all those types of things, all requires copper. While this happens, in other words, while demand for copper is inexorably higher and where the rate of increase is probably increasing, we have underinvested as an industry in copper exploration and production for 30 or 35 years. The truth is, as Davy can tell you, uh, most of the world's great copper mines <laughs> are a bit like me. They're old. <laughs> They're past their prime. Uh, Bingham Canyon's been producing for 120 years. Uh, Chukki Kamat has been producing for 105 years. Grassberg's been pr- producing for my whole lifetime, which is to say 69 years. You don't stand at the top of a pit, throw in fertilizer and water, and have it grow more copper. That's not the way it works. So, five years from now, what you see is that these old behemoths become longer and longer and longer of tooth, while as a consequence of three decades of underinvestment and exploration production, there's nothing to take their place. And if there is something to take their place, uh, increasingly there are political uh, and economic roadblocks put in front of them. There's a wonderful copper deposit here in the United States called resolution that the world's been talking about for 20 years. And it's probably 10 years away from permitting and production, not in time to make any difference in uh, in a supply outlook. So to the extent that one is able to make uh, a copper discovery, the appetite among the major copper producers, to buy these projects to replace the old behemoths uh, which are long of tooth uh, and the uh, incredible interest that governments and consumers have about increasing the material well-being of their citizens uh, which is a fancy way of saying increasing demand for copper uh, means that an intelligently constructed copper exploration royalty development program I say intelligently crafted uh, Part of the problem in the last 30 years has been that not only haven't we invested enough money, we've invested most of the money that we've invested stupidly. Um, So we've been both unwitting and unscrupulous in the mining business with regards to copper. But the result of that is that successful efforts in the copper business uh, pay uh, absolutely tremendous rewards and will uh, continue to, I I think. Uh, Most people in the West, when they think about copper, you know, they think about Tesla, Or something like that and that's fine Uh, that's wonderful i I think there is going to be an increase in demand for electrification for well-to-do people but the real opportunity is increasing the material living standards for the bottom half of humanity we have an obligation to do it we've done a good job of it over the last three decades it's going to continue and the driver is going to be copper
2: Maurice, uh, i'll point out if you don't mind that that Dr. Richard Chode is our uh, consulting and advisor on the mineral e- economic side out of Australia, MinEx Consulting. He believes that uh, conservatively the planet will consume as much copper in the forthcoming 20 to 25 years as has been consumed by humanity throughout all of history cumulatively. And when you think about that with respect to uh, you know, the undercapitalized situation in the copper industry, it's a it's very, very dynamic situation. It's very difficult not to be extraordinarily bullish, copper. And Rick mentioned the Bingham uh, Canyon mine. Uh, one of the largest open pit mines in the world is where open pit mining was first invented. The globe currently consumes the entire endowment of that deposit annually. <laughs> 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 so uh, it's, it's an interesting situation
0: to, uh, for the copper business. Well, sticking with copper, Mr. Cole, let's visit the EMX Property Bank and get acquainted with some of your royalties. Beginning in Chile at the Caserones mine, where EMX recently increased its position there. Tell us about the royalty and why the increase.
2: So, well, uh, first of all, as, to, as said, you know, we're very bullish copper. have always believed in having a diversified portfolio and copper has been a key component to that. Scott Close is on the line here. He likes to call Casserone's cash Arones. Uh, <laughs> this is a very long-lived asset. Uh, officially, it's a 17-year mine life, but as geologists, we've looked at it. We, you know, We see 25-plus years of production here just from the existing deposit as it is open-ended at depth. And uh, copper cutoff grades have a long history of decreasing over time because of these various factors that we're pointing out. So we, this is a very long-lived assets. It's like having a 30-year bond that pays in pounds of Copper. And we do see a little bit of upside with respect to production coming from that, but we're very bullish Copper prices. And we did have the opportunity to buy at a fair valuation, a 0.4% royalty on that deposit. And then the opportunity came along for us to augment that as additional family members who owned this royalty wanted to sell and liquidate and so we had the chance to increase that and we did it um, as that next bite was larger than we could afford by ourselves. We brought in Franco Nevada as a partner and we have a huge amount of respect for Franco Nevada. They're the leader um, in in the royalty mining royalty space and if you would have asked me who's the best company to be a strategic investor in EMX, I would have said Franco Nevada very happy to get them across the line and become a shareholder in EMX, part and parcel to us, taking that further bite and increasing our exposure to Casaronis. And that's not our only copper exposure in the world. Of course, we have a royalty on the TMOOC project, which is one of the largest ongoing copper gold discoveries on the planet. Why would the biggest, most successful company
0: in the mineral royalty sector want shares in EMX?
2: Yeah, they, everybody asked me this question, and, and Maurice, please feel free to ask them. And <laughs> the, the answer to the question, I know the answer. And it comes back to what we were talking about earlier, and that's our hedgehog, and that's our organic growth strategy, so our royalty generation work. That's what separates us from the crowd, and that's why we're the only junior or mid-tier royalty company that they've ever bought stock in and hold stock in currently. Uh, and we're delighted to have them on board. They've been giving us accolades for the royalty generation work, for many years. Uh, We know these folks well from our history. I used to work with some of them at Newmont Mining Corporation and they would come up to me. David Harkel once said, Dave, we we believe that your royalty generation work is top notch and hats off to you for doing that. Uh, And ultimately it was that 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 carried them across, across the line and got them to invest in the company. But ironically, it was associated with a royalty purchase. Uh, but they they recognize the power and in the integration of buying royalties as well as growing them organically to build your portfolio. All right, I've thrown you some softballs here. Here's a tough one. Yeah.
0: E- EMX has recently deployed a substantial amount of capital lately acquiring cash flowing and or soon-to-be cash flowing royalties and taking on debt to do so. Does this really make sense in the long-term health of the company? And I mean, is this really in the best interest of the shareholders?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. So the, uh, our calculated risk-adjusted internal rate of return on the monies that we've invested into purchasing these portfolio royalties um, vastly exceeds the, the cost of that capital. And very speaking of cost of capital, uh, one of the important goals here is to populate the top of the pyramid, increasing our cash flow and enabling us to move across that border from a junior company to a mid-tier company with strong cash flows which will significantly reduce our cost of capital as we able to form a relationship with major senior banks and we're in those discussions now. So this is all part of our strategy to prudently grow our portfolio and particularly in in an inflationary environment, uh, you know, paying a 7% coupon rate to borrow some money to buy things that have double digit internal rates of return is smart business.
0: Rick, as a shareholder, how significant is it when you see Franco Nevada paying a premium to own a three and a half stake in EMX?
1: I like uh, good partners. Uh, I've been a, a Franco Nevada shareholder <coughs> on and off uh, because, of course, they disappeared for a while since 1982, uh, and I hold them in very high regard. Um, Dave has done a good job, I think, of attracting other sophisticated shareholders in emx <clears throat> but you know certainly uh, i'm attracted to emx as a shareholder what price they paid is really a matter of their own concern the fact that they paid a premium <clears throat> i think if you look at the nature of the royalty transaction uh, the, the premium was explained but the truth is that uh in franco nevada emx has a partner that should they have an opportunity uh that is time sensitive and attractive, uh, they have a partner that could stroke a $250 million check or a $350 million check overnight without blinking an eye. Uh, and uh, a partner that has the sophistication and the courage to be able to do that. that w- that's what's important.
0: Rick, we just highlighted copper. What is your outlook on the opportunity before us in nickel?
1: Well, nickel, you could also say, is also an electric metal. Uh, It's in tighter supply than copper. Uh, Most of the marginal nickel production that we've seen in the world in the last 30 years is lateritic nickel, uh, which is nickel that occurs in tropical environments, often Indonesia and the Philippines. Uh, And the production of lateritic nickel is extremely environmentally degrading. Uh, and also extremely energy intensive. So you need to break down nickel between lateritic nickel and primary sulfide deposits. Primary nickel sulfide deposits are very rare and extraordinarily valuable. Uh, A primary nickel mine, uh, even at today's nickel, makes an awful lot of money. In the very near term, uh, the nickel price looks inexorably higher because the world's most important nickel producer is Russia. Uh, The political difficulties between Russia and the rest of the world, including the fact that because Russia has been kicked out of the swift banking systems means that even if they sell nickel, they can't get paid for it in any currency that they can spend. Uh, But looking beyond that, the uses of nickel uh, in batteries, in stainless steel, in metallurgical applications, uh, nickel is tied very, very directly like copper uh, to the ascent of humankind. But primary nickel deposits are even rarer than high quality primary copper deposits.
0: David, about two weeks ago, EMX announced that it had made a strategic investment in privately held premium nickel resources, which holds a trio of defunct nickel, copper, and cobalt mines in Botswana, of all places. Now, this seems to be a
2: big deviation from the EMX business model. What's going on there? Well, it's actually a key part of our business model to make strategic investments. And so it's quite synergistic with our world to generation work. We've got smart economic geologists around the world identifying properties to acquire, and occasionally they come across an opportunity to invest in a company where we cannot not buy the stock. And you may recall the investment that we had in Russia, of all places, oh, yes. that we liquidated at a substantial profit. That was a strategic investment in an ongoing copper and gold development story that we did exceedingly well on and happy to have our money out of Russia back in 2018 <laughs> and not and have not gone back, I'll point out. But that, that's an example of us making strategic investments. Uh, our track record over a nearly 20 year um uh pathway here has been quite good we've netted out over 50 million usd from our strategic investments and we've had a couple bumps on the chin uh, you know we, we, we are, we're comfortable with taking risk and the wins have far outweighed the losses this is our next major strategic investment absolutely delighted for the very reasons that rick pointed out to have that nickel exposure and uh Uh, We think that the the premium nickel acid in Botswana is going to be in the top five nickel sulfide systems on the planet. We're very bullish about that opportunity. Multi-million dollar question here. Can
0: you provide us with an update on the situation with Zizing Mining in Serbia at the giant Timok Copper Gold Mine?
2: Everybody wants to know the answer to that. Of course, I cannot selectively disclose information, uh, but I can not say that we are in negotiations with, with uh, Xinjiang. They've been quite professional and communicative to work with, and I'm confident that we'll come to a mutual agreement.
0: The Balya silver-zinc lead mine in Turkey has been ramping up for a while now. What are the latest developments there?
2: So the, the exploration results have been phenomenal. The deposit continues to grow. They've decided that they will build a second mill, which we're delighted that will, that will uh, you know, substantially uh, enhance our cash flow long term. And uh, uh, they are entering into commercial production now. I expect the first royalty check to come in within the next couple of months, actually. And I do expect production to ramp up from multiple underground headings uh, over the course of the next five years. Five years from now, it's going to be a substantial annual royalty for us.
0: Can you give us an update on the Getatepi Gold Oxide and Polymetallic
2: Mine? And when will this royalty start cash flowing? That one's also just a couple months away, Maurice. And so that's an interesting royalty in that the royalty on the upper oxide zone, which is gold and silver enriched, is 10%. That was part of the sales price when the predecessor to SSR sold that on to the current operator, Lydia. And Uh, that 10% kicks in after 10,000 ounces have been poured. And we're right at 4,000 ounces right now. They are in production. They're placing ore on the pad. They did have a tough winter season, so that slowed them down a little bit, but they're only a few weeks behind, and and we're seeing greater uh, production as they head into summer. As soon as they cross the 10,000th ounce, which will be just a few months out, uh, probably June or July, then we'll start to receive royalty payments on that, and that is a 10% royalty Uh, And and that's on the upper oxide zone, which we believe will have about a five-year mine life. And then it goes into the polymetallic sulfide zone, which is dominated by zinc and copper, two commodities we love. And that's a 2% royalty in perpetuity on that zone. So that's another key asset within the portfolio that starts to cash flow in a few months. That 10% is just remarkable.
0: Uh, with all the new royalty cash flow and pending royalties poised to begin paying, what will the cash flow look like for EMX for the remainder of 2022?
2: Yep, so we will be coming out with guidance in two quarters, and we're diligently working on that. And our bankers are talking to us about that, and that's part of our shelf filing that we're also in the process of. And this is all part of our maturing from a junior company that's been building a portfolio to a mid tier company with strong cash flows. Uh, and so Uh, as soon as we provide that guidance, Maurice, you'll be one of the first to know. (laughs) All Right. Looking forward to it. Leaving the property bank,
0: Rick, I know you have a very stringent selective criteria for companies that make the grade, if you will, before you will commit your capital. Now, we just heard Mr. Cole reference that EMX has five attractive royalties and more on the way, along with some, uh, you know, an attractive share price, in my opinion. That all sounds compelling, but you taught me years ago that the competitive advantage for a shareholder is found in the board of directors, management, and technical team. Why are the people equally, if not more important to you as a shareholder than the given project and specifically the team that comprises EMX royalty? Bad people
1: can screw up good rocks. If the wrong team controls the cash flow, they get it, and the shareholders don't, Uh, simple as that. The second thing, of course, is that luck favors the trained observer, you need luck in exploration. Dave has done a great job over 20 years, he's a geologist himself, but I I would say his true talent is hiring and motivating and keeping very good geologists. So what has always attracted me to EMX has been uh, the uh, technical IQ per dollar of market cap. Uh, Mm -hmm. The fact that… although the team has done a a decent job of buying royalties. What I think the real secret sauce is, is the fact that they have generated royalties by generating 300 uh, exploration concepts that other people have bought into. Uh, It can take a decade for prospect generation to work for you, but prospect generation in my own portfolio has been by far the most capital efficient exploration speculation that i have done what the emx team did is they figured out a better payments mechanism for most of my life i invented i invested in uh, teams that had great intellectual capital that generated projects and they ended up getting a carried interest in the project The problem with that is that they sometimes didn't have the ability to carry the load uh, as the project went into production and they well they had a lot of uh, exploration expertise they maybe didn't have construction or development expertise what Davy did is he really simplified the way they got paid Uh, rather than get paid in uh, the ability to own on a subsidized basis a minority interested in operation that they may not know how to operate uh he developed a circumstance where uh, they got paid a carried interest by way of a royalty which is ultimately uh, a safer and probably a more valuable instrument the same intellectual capital that he has hired and deploys in the exploration business can be used to both source and evaluate either merchant banking opportunities which is to say those companies that he invests in strategically or royalties. So I think it's important that the uh, exploration uh, IQ that has been assembled within uh, EMX, turns out to be a strategic advantage in moving their asset base forward.
0: Now, Rick, we've heard you convey the merits of owning mineral royalties. And we've heard the virtues of that EMX royalty presents to the market. Before we close, what did I forget to ask?
1: Well, I think, you know, the important question to ask any company that's beginning to mature is how are the capital allocations decisions made? Uh, What would be, uh, as an example, the capital cost assumptions around the debt that they took on uh, and, and what sort of pro forma delta would occur between cost of capital and return on capital employed? How strategically will the decision be made internally Uh, as to uh, whether to emphasize the merchant banking business, the royalty generation business, or the royalty acquisition business. And then finally, I think the royalty acquisition business is extremely competitive. Uh, I would ask Dave to describe the competitive advantage that he may feel uh, against the 30-some-odd other players in the mineral royalty space.
0: All right, Mr. Cole, so you know what's, uh, what's up for our next interview.
2: <laughs> it boils down to our alpha, which is uh, uh, on the technical side, you know, and, and we believe that astute business decisions are rooted in solid technical understanding. And we've always had a strong uh, technical team here at EMX to drive those business decisions so that we can have that astute allocation of capital.
0: Last question for you, Rick, tell us about the Rural Symposium, which will be held this year at the beautiful Boca Raton Resort in Boca Raton, Florida, July 26th through the
1: 29th. I thought you'd never ask, Maurice. Uh, (laughs) I, uh, as both of you know, or all of you, frankly, uh, have put on uh, natural resource investing conferences. Uh, The majority of those, the live ones, took place in Vancouver, B.C. A couple of years ago, because of COVID, we had to uh, discontinue that one for a while. Uh, And and we'd like to bring it back to B.C., Uh, but the truth is, with the COVID circumstance and public health administrations in two countries doing their level best to thwart my franchise, uh, we decided to bring the conference down to the United States because most of the attendees are, in fact, American. We searched around the country for uh, a resort that was of the same quality that we expected uh, and one that had the facilities uh, that we needed, and we found one in Boca Raton the boca resort has a long and fabled history uh it's just undergone a spectacular renovation they put hundreds of millions of dollars in it uh they're renting rooms to our attendees for 295 dollars a night the rack rates about a thousand uh truly spectacular location the conference itself has a long and storied history we've always had great speakers we have uh you know, Jim Rickards, Daniel D. Martina Booth, Doug Casey, the normal sort of gurus. But what's always made our conference set apart uh, is really two things. One, we have always had what I call the living legends, which is to say we've always had as speakers, uh, people who have built multi-billion dollar businesses and natural resources from scratch. It isn't all gurus. There's a lot of jockeys there and they are great jockeys. We'll have that this year. In addition to that, every exhibitor At our conference is owned either in sprott managed accounts or in my own account that doesn't mean sadly that every stock i own goes up what it does mean is that my attendees can rest assured that every exhibitor has been vetted we know them well enough that we in fact own them the important part of a live conference is that you get to see the interaction between the exhibitors and the speakers i remember four years ago i guess in vancouver following, at a discrete different distance, uh, Robert Friedland, uh, one of the best resource entrepreneurs in history. And I watched him walk around the exhibit hall. I watched him speak to exhibitors. I took note of which exhibitors he talked to, and which exhibitors made him smile, and which exhibitors made him frown. Uh, I think the opportunity to follow Robert Friedland on a resource stock shopping trip is worth the price of admission. By the way, with regards to the price of admission, every investment product, every investment education product that Rule Investment Media has ever offered over the last 30 years has come with a complete money back guarantee. If you come to the conference, you pay the commission, pay, pardon me, you pay the tuition and you don't think it was worth your money, email me, I'll give you your money back.
0: You know, one important factor that maybe you you, you forgot to highlight there is the intellectual capital that you get from other investors. And the lifelong relationships that I've had an opportunity to forge have just been, I I can't put a a price tag on that.
1: Well, that's a a very good point. There's going to be, you know, 500 high net worth investors there. And the idea that all the IQ in the room flows from the dais to the room is stupid. Uh, Watching fellow investors, listening to the questions that they ask the exhibitors, listening to the questions and the conversations they have amongst each other, listening to the conversations in the workshop. Absolutely invaluable. And as I say, (laughs) <laughs> if you aren't prepared to make money on it, there's a money-back guarantee.
0: Now, I know the next question everyone has is, how do I register? We've got that taken care of for you. Check the description box below. Also, just visit provenandprobable.com, and the link will be on the right side of our homepage, just below the weekly Precious metal Special through Miles Franklin Precious Metals Investments. Mr. Cole, before we close, what would you
2: like to say to shareholders? I the depths. Yeah, uh, as Rick likes to say, uh, you know, you want to use the cycles to your advantage rather than be used by the cycles. Mr. Cole, for someone that wants to learn more
0: about EMX Royalty, please share the website address.
2: EMXRoyalty.com,
0: Maurice. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Wishing you both the absolute best. Wishing Thank you, you the sir. Best. Thank you. The information presented on Proven Improbable